Let me also say good morning to you. We are grateful that you are here today and, and grateful that we can share uh, some time together as we have been worshiping and gathering around the table here. Uh, and now we will focus the next few minutes on uh, some, some places here in God's Word. If you happen to be joining us today for the first time, you are uh, jumping in uh, midstream with us, uh, pardon the pun, uh, because we are talking about the baptized life and have been now for the past several weeks and, and we've been looking at God's word and we've been trying to think about what the, the scriptures have to say about baptism and, and as, as we've said several times we are immersing ourselves in the scriptures so that we'll have a deeper understanding of what it means to immerse ourselves in Christ and so if you'll just recap with me where we've been we, we started a few weeks ago and we we talked about baptism as this really joyful moment because it is where we encounter the good news of Jesus Christ. And from there, we looked at the, the biblical story starting in Exodus, but also how that plays out in the book of Acts. And we said that when you go through the water, everything changes. Because in that act, in that moment of submitting ourselves to God in baptism, we are making the story of Jesus our story. We are identifying with but also participating in the story of Jesus Christ the good news of Jesus and then as we said last week we spent some time looking at John chapter 3 and and we looked at what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus and in particular this concept this truth that a new kind of life requires a new kind of birth and so with all of that in mind today now we kind of turn the corner and think uh, a, a little bit about about another concept from the scriptures. It was about, I don't know, four or five years ago, several years ago now, that I met with a young man who had been studying with some of our members here. And, and as the information was passed on to me, he was, was at a point where he was really close to making a decision to, to, to give his life to the Lord in baptism. And so he wanted to meet with me and, and wanted to talk, and I didn't know exactly what was on his heart, but I assumed that that maybe he had some questions about some of what he had studied. Maybe there was just one, one issue that he couldn't quite resolve. And so, so I was excited to, to meet with him. And, and we met in my office and, and he sat down and I said, well, uh, I, you know, I'm excited to hear that, that you're thinking about being baptized. Do you, do you have a, a question or two that, that you'd like to talk about uh, when, pertaining to baptism? And he said, well, not really. Um, he said, my question doesn't really pertain to baptism per se, he said, I, now, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time working through some of the, the passages of scripture for, with some folks here and some friends, and they've been really thorough and, and walking through and helping me understand what baptism means and, you know, what it's for and all that. He said, I feel like I've gained a really good understanding of, of all of that, so I, that's not my question. He said, my, my question, though, is this, he said, what comes next? And all that conversation and all that, that talk about baptism, I've, I've heard a lot about what God is going to do in that moment. And again, what it means and what it represents. But I keep waiting for somebody to tell me what happens on the other side of that. When, when you come up out of the water, then what? He said, so that's my question. I was kind of hoping you could help me understand that. And I've thought about that young man quite a bit here as we've been going through our study of the baptized life because in all of this discussion and everything that we're, we're looking at 
I hope that we are, as we said, immersing ourselves in the scriptures so we understand what it means to be immersed in Jesus. But, but the what comes next question is a really good question, isn't it? And it is a really important question as well. And thankfully, it is a question that the scriptures give us a, a really clear answer about as well. And so today, I'd like for us to spend our time looking at a couple of places in the scriptures with this question in mind. And the first place is uh, the book of Titus in your New Testament. If you want to go ahead and turn over there, we'll, we'll get to that passage here in just a minute. Titus is written by our friend Paul. Paul, of course, missionary, apostle, uh, church planter. And in this little letter, he's not writing to a church, but he's writing to an individual. And Paul does this from time to time. He'll write to some of his protégés, and so Timothy is one of those, and also Titus. Titus has a really important job. Paul has, has put Titus on the Greek island of Crete, and his job is to go through and appoint elders in the church there. Now, you may not know much about the Greek island of Crete. I don't pretend to know very much about it either, but here's a fun fact. According to Greek mythology, Crete was the birthplace of the Greek god Zeus in Greek mythology. I would imagine that would make Crete kind of a tough place to plant a church. <laughs> but that's the work that the Lord has for Titus. And so he's doing this work, he's trying to appoint elders and, and encourage the church there. And so Paul sets down and he writes to this young apprentice of his, and he has this to say in Titus chapter 3. You can follow along in your Bible and we'll have the, the scriptures on the screen as well. Here's God's word from Titus chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of God. We're familiar with the way that advertisement works and in particular we're familiar with this one form of advertisement that doesn't need very much to accompany it it needs a few pictures and it needs two words and that's those two words are before and after <laughs> uh, you, you, maybe you can think of the advertisement for a weight loss product or uh, sometimes it's for some sort of um, you know teeth whitening product or uh, some miracle drug that will restore hair where you once had hair, but now you don't uh, have hair. It's a problem that afflicts some of us. Uh, we're familiar with the, like those before and after pictures, right? 
And Paul gives us kind of the, the ultimate before and after in this passage. Uh, it's, it's a teaching tool that he's really fond of. If you look throughout his writings, he'll do this a lot. He's contrasting life before we came to know Jesus with life after we've trusted in him. And it's this ultimate sort of contrast, this ultimate before and after. And in this passage here in Titus 3, he identifies seven different characteristics or, or qualities of what life looked like before we came to know Christ. And honestly, it's, it's not very pretty. So on one side of the ledger, he says, we at one time, we were foolish. That means lacking in spiritual understanding. We were disobedient. We were rebellious against God. We were deceived, that might be deceived by Satan, but also we're really great at deceiving ourselves as well. We were enslaved because Satan seeks to enslave everyone to sin. We were living in malice and envy. Uh, the New American Standard Version translates that, that sixth one as hateful, and that's probably a better translation because it implies being a God-hater, hateful toward the Lord, and then the last one, hating others as well and so paul lays all that out and he says this is who we were this is who we were at one time and then on the other side of the ledger he contrasts all of that with this life that that has has now been characterized differently because we've gone through the water because we've crossed over jordan if you want to put it that way because of this washing and this rebirth and this renewal by the work of the Holy Spirit, he can say now, well, this new life is characterized this way, justified by grace. We've been made right. We've been given right standing in the eyes of God because of his graciousness. We have this, this hope of eternal life. We've become heirs, he says, of eternal life. This is our inheritance. And then the last part, he says, once, once this has happened, we are devoted to doing what is good, as he points out. And although Paul doesn't use the word baptism here, there, there's this rich tradition, this rich tradition in New Testament scholarship that, that looks at this and, and recognizes the intersection of all of these things as a reference to baptism. Because washing and rebirth and renewal are all pointed to elsewhere in the New Testament, as uh, it's used as language to describe baptism as we talked about last week from john 3 jesus himself refers to being born of water and the spirit so the holy spirit's work involved in baptism there as well and so new testament scholars look at that and they say you know it seems like all those things just intersect the confluence of those terms it all comes together in baptism that seems to be what paul is referring to here and in that way, his teaching is consistent with what we pointed out last week from John chapter 3, where again, Jesus talks about what it means to be born from above or to be born again, and he, and he clarifies that in his conversation with Nicodemus. He says, what I'm talking about is this rebirth of water and spirit. And so we say that that takes us all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures, in the beginning when God created and as the scriptures testify there, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of those waters in the beginning, just waiting for God to say the word, just waiting for God to say, let there be, 
so that the Spirit could get to work with that act of creation. And in the same way, the Spirit of God hovers still over the face of those waters in baptism, just waiting to take part in that glorious work of new creation. Paul's teaching here is so consistent with what we looked at last week from John chapter 3. So, so this before and after that Paul gives us is, uh, is in many ways, it's a contrast between pre-baptism and post-baptism, but really the best way to say it is what our lives look like prior to knowing Jesus, pre-Jesus, and then life on the other side of coming to know him. One line of reasoning that people will give sometimes uh, with regard to you know, why they, they don't want to give their lives over to the Lord. Sometimes they'll hear folks and they'll say, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm a good person. I, I do more good than bad. Uh, you know, I'm not a murderer. <laughs> That's kind of the go-to where, where we go sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm a good person because, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not this or I'm not that. And so we'll, we'll say things like that and you'll hear folks say things like that. And so because of that, you know, because I'm a pretty good person, I don't, I'm not really sure I need all that religion or all that spiritual sort of thing but god's word here does not affirm that line of thinking at all if, if we believe that paul is writing under the inspiration of the spirit and that his words carry divine authority then you look at what he has to say and, and it's pretty clear that that before coming to know jesus before coming to know christ we are dead in our sins and in our transgressions so we can tweak this model a little bit and, and expand it out into other places where Paul teaches or other passages in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul uses that very phrase. We are dead in our sins and our transgressions. Before coming to know Jesus Christ, we are dead. But on the other side of that, Ephesians 2, 5, we have been now made alive with Christ because of the graciousness of God. We now can be declared alive. And so, so the contrast isn't just like the, the picture of a guy who was once a little heavy and now he's lost 30 pounds or, you know, he, he once had some bald spots, but now look at that head of hair, right? It's not, it's not that kind of contrast. The contrast in the scriptures are a contrast of once I was dead and I had no life, dead in my sins and transgressions, but now, now I've been made alive with Jesus Christ. And Acts chapter 10 is a great narrative place to go to look at that same concept, that same teaching. Acts 10 tells the story of Cornelius. And it says in Acts 10, in the, the first part there, that, that Cornelius was a good man. It says that he was a devout man, that he was a God-fearer. He studied the scriptures. He gave alms regularly to the poor. He was a man of prayer. He was a really good man. But as you read that narrative, and again, if you believe that that narrative comes from God, this has to count for something. Cornelius, although he's a really good man in Acts 10, you know what? Cornelius is lacking one thing. You know what the one thing is that Cornelius is lacking? He's lacking Jesus. And so Simon Peter comes and he preaches the good news the resurrection of Jesus, the life-giving, life-after-death-of-Jesus. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius, and that story ends in Acts 10, verse 48, 
was Cornelius putting Christ on in baptism. He is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because even though he was a good man, he was still, like all of us, apart from Jesus, dead in his sins and in his transgressions. And so all of this gets us back to this idea we've, we've circled back to several times over the course of this series. And when you go through the water, everything changes. That before and after contrast that Paul gives us couldn't be painted in more stark terms. It's the move from death now into life. So back to the question, what comes next? I think it's pretty clear from Paul's teaching, Titus, but elsewhere in the New Testament, that, that what comes next is this baptized life. It's this new kind of life that we talked about last week. As Paul says in his, in his letter there to Titus, we devote ourselves, on the backside of this, we devote ourselves to doing what is good. We talked about this, this last week, this idea that once we come to know Jesus, the call then is to live a transformed life, a new kind of life. If you want to put it differently, the call then is to live out your baptism. Long after we've dried off, Long after we've changed out of those baptismal clothes, the idea is still to be living out that baptism. You can tell when someone's been baptized, right? Dripping wet. Maybe their makeup's kind of running. <laughs> clomping around everywhere, dripping. You know, it's, it's a pretty obvious sort of sign. And, you know, at the risk of being sort of simplistic, how do you, isn't, isn't that the way we're called to live? To live out our baptism in much the same way run around dripping that baptism everywhere we go so that people will know that what has happened is this stark contrast where I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, right? I mean, that is the essence of gospel singing and gospel preaching, but what about gospel living? That's the call. What comes next is living this baptized kind of life. And Paul even says that to Titus on the front end of what he has to say. Turn over just a page or so to Titus chapter 1. I want you to see the introduction that Paul gives here in Titus 1. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, key word there, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. Paul opens up his letter here to Titus not just by stating his purpose for writing, although that's what he's doing, but really at a 30,000-foot at a, at a level, Paul is giving the reason, he's stating the reason for his ministry. So if you want to know what this apostolic ministry is all about that God has given me, it is this, it is for the sake of the elect, it is for the, for the sake of the, the faithfulness of God's people, that they might grow in their knowledge of the truth, Paul's all about that, and all of this accords with godliness and leads to eternal life. Paul wants believers to live out their baptism by being more godly, by becoming more godly. What does that word mean? Godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is, is oftentimes used in the scriptures. It, it, it means devotion sometimes. It, 
It's a, a word that's used to describe the life of piety, one who is devoted to God, as one who's trying to, to put on godliness. Uh, a lot of times in the scriptures, though, it's also associated with another word, and that word is holiness. When you come across godliness in the scriptures, see how many times it is also accompanied with this idea of holiness. And that helps us understand God's purposes for godliness. Did you know that it is God's desire, it has always been God's desire for you to look more like him? Did you know that that is God's, God has always had this desire for, for you and for me to take on more and more of his character, to look more and more like him? That is why the scriptures tell us that we're made in the image of God in the, in the, in the first place. Now, sin does its work by corrupting that image. That image has been marred significantly by sin in my life and in, and in your life. I, I don't reflect the goodness of God and the glory of God like I could if sin were not a part of my life. But, but thankfully, praise God, that the scriptures tell this story of what God is doing now. To, to, to make godliness possible, to allow us to, to be holy as he is holy, to allow us to put on his righteous character, his godly character, to be partakers of the divine nature, as Simon Peter puts it. He's reconciling all of that brokenness back to himself so that we could look more like him. And the catch-all word for that, all, all of that in the scriptures, the catch-all word for that is godliness. God desires for us to put on his character, godliness. It's about the way you live. And more pointedly, it's about living out your baptism. Because a baptized life looks more and more like Jesus. We've said this repeatedly throughout this series, but that's the meaning of baptism. Just, you want to look at the, the Greek word, what it means. It is, it is to dip or to soak or to immerse in a body of water so that what you're, what you're dipping will, will take on the quality of that into which it is dipped. So again, I've said this every week. We'll just keep saying it because it's good for our understanding. It's like you have a piece of cloth and you take that cloth and you, you baptize it, you immerse it, you, you dip it into dye so that what would happen? Well, it would take on the quality of that dye. So it would be transformed. It would take on a different color and a different appearance. And there would be no denying that it had been immersed, right? This is the term in the ancient Greek that God uses to say, this is what baptism is, is all about, right? And so this concept here of, of baptism, being baptized and immersed into Jesus is about putting on more and more of his qualities. To be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as it says there in Matthew chapter 28. What is that about? It's the same thing. It's about becoming more godly. It's about having his character formed in us. It's about becoming more and more like the people he wants us to be. It's not about perfection. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's, it's a way of achieving godliness and holiness without being perfect. Because we partake of his righteousness and his perfection and his holiness and he transfers that to us graciously in this act of trusting in Jesus and submitting ourselves to the will of God the Father and all that comes together in that moment when physically and spiritually and emotionally 
I'm allowing God to take me down under and bring me back up. It's just this beautiful expression of new life. It is to be clothed, the scriptures say, to be clothed in Christ. Our friend Paul has this to say in Galatians 3. So, in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Look at that again. If you were baptized into Christ, then you have been clothed with Christ. And therefore, now, this is not Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. To be clothed in Christ, it transcends all other markers. It, it cuts across the boundaries of things like race and class and gender. And I would say it's, it's not as if those categories are, are somehow unimportant anymore. That's not the case at all. You, you still retain your identity in those categories. All this passage is saying is that now you have been given a new primary identity that trumps all of those others. That cannot be the primary way that we view one another anymore from a socioeconomic standpoint or from a racial standpoint or from the vantage point of, the vantage point of gender. You know, all those things still continue to be hugely important for your identity, but they take a back seat now to this reality that you have given yourself over to the blood of Jesus Christ. You have now been clothed in Jesus because when God looks at you now, what he sees is the clothing of Christ. He doesn't see those sins. He doesn't see all those mistakes. He doesn't see all those things that you keep locked away in the, you know, in the closet that you hope nobody ever finds out about. Those, he says, have been released, lost in the flowing blood of Jesus Christ because this is now your new identity a few weeks ago we told you there's this this tradition in the in the early church especially whenever men and women would come up out of the waters of baptism they would they would receive a white robe or a, a, a white tunic sometimes and and that tradition carries on in other places there are places still today that practice that what does that symbolize? What, what do you think that represents? I, I think it, it represents this word that we're, that we're talking about here, that it, it is a way of being symbolically clothed in Christ. It's a way of saying, hey, we, we believe this so much that this white robe now represents this new identity, this new person, this new creation that you are in Christ Jesus because you've given yourself over to him. As we said, we come up out of the water, everything changes because a baptized life looks more and more like Jesus. The new life of being clothed in Christ doesn't begin in eternity, but rather begins as soon as you come up out of that water. And I think we need a, a consistent understanding of, of life after death. You hear that phrase, life after death. You know, for many, it, it simply means going to heaven when you die. And that's really unfortunate because the bulk of the New Testament doesn't talk about heaven as much as we would like for it to. I would challenge you sometime to go through and read your New Testament and ask yourself the question as you're reading, say, does, does this 
does this refer to heaven? Or is this about living out my baptism in the present day? And I think you'll be shocked, perhaps, at the the percentage there, because the bulk of the New Testament calls us to live out that baptism in the here and now. And thankfully, gratefully, there is this peace about what happens on the other side of my physical death when I have placed my trust, my hope in Jesus Christ. Praise God, there is that, there is that answer. But life after death doesn't begin there. It begins when we come up out of that water. If we believe what Romans 6 says and that baptism is a death of sorts, that means life after death begins as soon as we come up out of those baptismal waters. So what comes next? The best answer I can give to my friend's question is this. Life after death comes next. The resurrection life of Jesus comes next. Living out your baptism in a life of discipleship, that's what comes next. Because a baptized life looks more and more like Jesus. Today the question is, would you accept this new life that he freely offers? Do you want to move from death to life? Maybe for you, you've kind of been in that place that we talked about a few minutes ago. Maybe you think you're a pretty good person. And by many accounts, you probably are. You probably are a good person comparatively as you look around at somebody. We can always find somebody who's maybe a little further down the line. So, yeah, it's easy to play that game and say, well, you know, I'm, I haven't done this or I haven't done that. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. Look back at that word from Acts 10, though. If there was ever a good man who lived, it was Cornelius, and yet he lacked one thing. He lacked the most important thing of all, and that was Jesus. And my prayer is that you wouldn't let today pass if you, like Cornelius, are lacking that one thing. Because it is the most important thing of all. Life after death begins when we come up out of that water. And if you would receive the new life that he offers so freely today, I hope you would walk down here, take that step and, and, and begin that life of discipleship and following him after you have been baptized into Christ and received that forgiveness that he offers. Don't let today pass saying I still lack that one thing. Maybe there's something else on your heart, some things you want us to be praying about. You can share that with us now as well. This word comes under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together and let's sing.